Relevant content for our members by our members. This is TMC Connect. Right. So, Keith, are you in Arkansas? I am. Where about? Uh, I'm uh, I'm in just outside Little Rock, in the uh, suburb. So to the north, south, east, or west of downtown. Uh, I am southwest of downtown. I'd be on the way to Hot Springs if uh, you've spent any time around here. I know Rob has the airport. <laughs> so I'm, I'm oh, 45 minutes, 45 minutes door to door to the horse track. So I uh, I had the opportunity, the pleasure of speaking at an event at the uh, at a casino in Hot Springs. Warm Springs, Hot Springs last year uh, with First Trust oh, and yeah. uh, and got stuck in a stuck in an ice storm and, and spent the next two days in the in Little Rock uh, watching it rain and sleet and be ice cold and actually filmed an episode of this show from the Bill and Hillary Clinton Memorial. Bill and Hillary Clinton Airport, which was my first encounter with a drug-sniffing dog. That's right. So, um, yeah, well, yes. that sounds like you—you uh, you had the full experience. I mean, uh, that—that's that's the full Little Rock experience. Yeah, um, that's we actually had the the state uh, NBA board meeting down at the casino yesterday. So, why not? Why not? And so, Rob should preface too. That was his first rundown run in with the drunk dogs so, yeah. you know there there have been other dogs there'll be there'll be dogs in the background so tom you were asking where i am today i am i tried to get a better shot of what's behind me which i'm about to show you but i'm in once again in larkspur california north of san francisco about 15 minutes and if we could uh, if we could fo- if we could follow me over here I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to be mobile and like you this. can see what happened here. This was uh is that an old playset? <laughs> it's a brand new, brand new little park. And you can see the, in the storms, the, the storms in California uh, knocked over a tree. Right. Right through the play structure. Hopefully nobody uh, was in the path of that at the time. No, it was in the, uh, you can see the rest of the tree is over there. But um, you see the rings on the inside? You know how old the tree is? I'm assuming if it's uh, anywhere in the redwoods. They haven't cut it up yet, but it's, uh, it's, uh, yeah, fortunately, fortunately nobody was injured. Um, It was uh, happened in the middle of the night during one of the storms uh, a few days ago. So, and I was trying to figure out some kind of analogy between the tree crashing through the play structure and the uh, banking industry, but I couldn't give anything clever. So, what about the, with uh, that in mind, the atmospheric river of inflation that has uh, <laughs> has gripped the nation. That's right. I remember inflation. I remember when everybody was worried about inflation. Now we're all worried about our bank accounts but not really but keith you're going to talk about that and calm everybody down tom you want to take it away 
Yeah. Well, welcome everybody into the latest edition of the rundown here, as always, joined by the esteemed co-host Rob Chrisman on location in Larkspur, California. Uh, shy of analogy, but that's all right, because we got plenty to dig into today. And uh, really privileged to have longtime TMC member, good friend of mine, president of Centennial Bank, Keith Little, joining us here. And Keith, welcome to the rundown, friend. Hey, thanks for having me. Hey, well, hey, Tom. Yeah, oh, Tom. Did you uh, happen to? Uh, is your is your uh, bracket already ruined? <laughs> well, I figured you know if uh, our conversation dulled people, or you just got a little too depressed over the uh, current events of the mortgage industry, at least you can watch your bracket bust in real time. I've got the uh, Marquette and Vermont two versus fifteen game going in the background, but yes, my bracket was officially busted by about. 2 p.m. Eastern yesterday. Yeah, I think yours and many others. And I did happen to catch a chat, a note there from Ira. Ira, always the clever wit, asking uh, if a bank if a bank fails in the forest, does it make a sound? Um, <laughs> so I wish I'd thought of that, Ira. Good job. Uh, right, see, just got to... Anyway, hit up our audience for uh, so, good analogies to go. But <laughs> I've got... I've got all, kinds of questions for Keith and Keith, I'm going to, I'm going to preface this by telling the, you know, we, we mentioned inflation and uh, well, do you want to tell, tell folks a little bit about the bank and, and what you do there first? Yeah. Well, first let me say that uh, none of my thoughts, opinions, or comments reflect those of Centennial Bank. Uh, forward-looking uh, statements are not indicative of past results. Uh, what else we got here? I don't even know if my wife would agree with half what I said. So don't uh, you know, take it for, for what it's worth and what you paid for the cost of mission today. But uh, I, we're, we're a regional bank based in Arkansas. Primary footprints, Arkansas, Florida, and Texas. Um, all pretty strong markets. Uh, you know, people continue to move to, to Texas and Florida. Um, you know, we're one of the better capitalized banks in the, the nation. It's not always been easy to explain to loan officers why our, our portfolio rates are not as aggressive as the people across the street. And that's because uh, it turns out that, um, you know, investment portfolios aren't the only problems in the banking system right now. Um, you know, when you've got, you've got loans tied up at low rates and uh, you're upside down, that math only works for so long. And I think that's what we've, we've started seeing. So, I mean, I think this is just one of the problems of, um, uh, Michael Lewis wrote a book a few years ago called Boomerang. I think it was, um, it was about what happened in the financial crisis at the end of every chapter. It was like, you know, what this country was was left in a room with money on the table and they turned out the lights. What did they do? And I mean, I think that's kind of dig of what we we saw the last few years. You know, I think people had made long term decisions as though the free money was was going to last forever. And, you know, it's been so long since we've seen a downturn. People forget that cycles are still cyclical and they still happen. Um, so. You know, there's there's a lot of uh, potential moral hazard we've seen in the last week and can talk about. But, um, you know, what a time yeah. to be alive. Amen. Well, to that. I know Rob's got some more questions, but I want for interactivity's sake and lieu of St. Patty's Day, uh, our attendees can follow along. I know I'll be taking a sip every time the Fed or FDIC is mentioned during today's conversation. So to be a little more interactive of a rundown. But Rob, go for it. I know you got more for Keith. I, uh, I I know how to spell FDIC. Don't put that glass down, Tom. Don't put it down yet. I've got uh, reinforcements ready to go. 
<laughs> so one of the one of the things, and and we'll get to like the big issues in a minute. But I'm but I'm kind of simple minded, uh, Keith. Just in case you didn't know that. Uh, but one of the questions that I'm continuing to receive is uh, why? What is it about warehouse banks? What what is my line threatened? Is my warehouse line threatened? And why is it threatened? And, and these are independent mortgage bankers and small to mid-sized mortgage bankers who are writing, in some cases larger. You know, what what is it about First Horizon? What is it about um, Western Alliance, who also happens to own a Marahome? Why what's going on with these warehouse banks? And Keith, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but as I as I understand it, the the issue isn't so much deposits or stability, but it's more the substance and counterparty risk that companies are feeling in terms of having small and mid-sized mortgage banks as clients. Nothing wrong, nothing nothing bad about mortgage banks themselves, but given the covenants and restrictions that are in place with so many warehouse lines, the fact that small and mid-sized and large lenders have been losing money uh, quite a bit. In fact, the MBA just released their figures today. It shows the cost per loan is up over $12,450 $12, now, which is amazing. And so, so many of these companies are not having profitable months, are not having profitable quarters. And so, uh, it's not the FDIC, which is stepping in and complaining about, there you go, Tom, come on now, uh, or the OCC. Uh, or the OSS, or the FBI, or the, well, anyway, we, we get carried away on the acronyms. But it's the fact that these where, the, the warehouse banks are looking at these independent mortgage banks saying, you haven't made any money. And, you know, paragraph three, line number one is you need to make money in order for us to have an adequate relationship. And we feel that we are at risk because you have not been ma- making money. And yes, we have these covenants in there and these restrictions and so forth. And we've not exactly turned a blind eye to them, but companies aren't making money. And when a company isn't making money, the warehouse bank is is going to tend to look at those with more suspicion and with more scrutiny. Are you seeing that, hearing that? Am I all all wrong on that? Should should independent mortgage banks be worried about that at all? Well, I, I mean, I think it'd be irresponsible for me to say that somebody should be worried or not. I mean, isn't that what happened last Friday? Peter Thiel tells, tells people that, hey, you need to be worried about this, that that, that caused the panic. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it's certainly a problem that people aren't making money. I mean, it, that everybody's having to just survive um, until things turn around. I mean, I think uh, January and February were better months um, in terms of applications and demand. Um, I mean, I think we've seen how rate sensitive the customer is that applications went up in January and went down in February. I mean, what happened in February? Rates steadily marched upwards. We got back down to, you know, a little bit more tolerable levels for everybody in January. And then as they start marching back up, you know, demand starts slowing down. You're seeing, you know, demand pick back up in March so far. Um, I think it's a little too early to figure out what, you know, what the news cycle right now is going to do to customer sentiment. Um, you know, I don't, I don't know how many people on Main Street are following all the news. Um, you know, I think everybody on this calls, we're probably watching CNBC more than the average bear. Um, but, you know, I don't know how much everybody is following that. But, I mean, 
warehouse lending, which let me caveat again that I'm no expert on warehousing, but you know, this is this is a short-term play. So the world should look better for warehousers this week, right? The short-term funds started going down for the first time in, in forever. So it, at least that should help a little bit. I mean, that's it's kind of indicative of what we're seeing in the banking problems is this liquidity is the primary concern. But I mean, if I, you know, I can't speak for you mentioned too, what in my opinion, good banks uh, that are run by some good folks. And and I've know folks at, at both of those. Um but, you know, I think they've probably, I don't want to say they've ignored covenants, but also they probably feel a responsibility that if I cut these lines off, I'm killing killing my customers. You know, well, so. and real quick, I mean, Keith, to your point, too, it's probably a good week coming up for warehouse banks in general just to get the phone to pick up a little bit more right now as IMBs think about, you know, where their lines of liquidity are currently allocated and you know if it's not sufficiently diversified quickly having that conversation internally about you know maybe making some pivots just to do that yeah i mean that's that's similar to what some of the um you know i'll send everybody's founder so this week and talking about stuff but some of those guys the tech companies were talking about yeah we've kind of thought differently about keeping all of our cash in one place now um, so, I mean, it's, it's been a while since talking about counterparty risk was part of, you know, happy hour discussions. Um, but it, it's always been there. It's always been real. So, you know, I don't, I don't know the basic fundamentals of blocking and tackling have changed. It's just a lot of people kind of forgot about it for a while. So Keith, the, uh, uh, I know the, the FDIC is very involved with, uh, what's going on. I'm sure you guys are very, uh, very much in touch with your regulators and uh, auditors and so forth. Any any advice that you would give other bankers that are on the line in terms of, say, dealing with, uh, without stealing any company secrets, you know, dealing with the FDIC or other other banking, other folks who are looking over your shoulder. Uh, well, you know, from that perspective, I don't really, I don't have to deal with with those guys in that capacity, you know, my, my interactions with FDIC Fed would be more, you know, audit situations and whatnot. But yeah, I think the, the primary mission a lot of banks this week have taken is to communicate to their customer base, you know, Hey, this is what we look like. Um, you know, these, what we've seen so far were, were banks that were pretty concentrated in some niche areas, um, you know, or, or had higher concentrations in thing than the average community bank. Um, you know, the average community bank does not look like Signature or SVB, uh, neither do the big money center banks. You know, um, and I was reading some stuff from ICBA this morning. I mean, community banks, you know, typically know their customers better um, and know what's going on with their customers and probably have deeper relationships. Um, so, I mean, I, I think that's been a lot of what bankers have done this week is for just talk to to those customers and reassure them, hey, this is what our capital positions look like. This is where we're at. This is, no, we did not have crypto exposure or, you know, we weren't um, tied to them. And you look at SCV was kind of, well, niche because, I mean, that was a bank that their primary customer base was tech. And, I mean, everybody knows if you watch the market that when when rates go up, when money gets more expensive, tech is you know, one of the biggest users of capital like that, and they get hit harder than other sectors do. So, I mean, that was, um, you know, that that's unfortunate, but that was, you know, that was the space they were playing in and that 
you know, that got hit harder. So I think that's a lot of, uh, which I mean, that's a great theme for the year on, on, you know, customer education. So whether yeah. it's first time home buyers or deposit customers or anybody just going out and telling your story and let, let everybody know where you're at. Yeah. I think, uh, education is uh, counterparty education is very, very important. This is clearly, uh, you know, been, been made apparent, whether it's dealing banks, working with the FDIC, telling them, uh, you know, what's going on with them, whether lenders, uh, you know, in, in touch with warehouse banks to say, yeah, I know we didn't make money in, in whatever month. Here's the plan we have going forward. And being being in contact like that is just, I mean, communication is so, so important. Uh, do you, I, I know that the, the FDIC, which was formed back during the Depression, uh, I think 1933, to, uh, uh, yeah, thanks, Tom. I uh, worked that in there for you. So 1933 was when the FDIC was formed and basically put in place the deposit insurance and the FDIC has done a very good job of that uh, so far. But we ran up against the the FDIC limit, the the insurance limit of $250,000. And so many folks from Silicon Valley Bank had accounts much greater than $250,000. And so the FDIC's insurance cap uh, basically didn't quite work. Uh, the FDIC has come around a little bit last weekend uh, to say that they're going to insure all accounts, which is unusual for the FDIC to say. So uh, what is, where do you think we go going forward with the, uh, with the FDIC and insurance limits and so on? Your, your opinion only, mind you. Uh, well, I don't know. I mean, did, did, like you said, did they um, implicitly uh, change the rules of the road by by backstopping everything? Um, you know, I, I don't know. Um, obviously, everybody's going to want to jump out and say, "Oh, we need more regulation when something happens." But I mean, you can you can come with all the regulation in the world, and it's still not going to stop people from making bad decisions and, and decisions that they made that at the time probably didn't seem bad. You know, I, I still believe that the human being is, you know, inherently good at birth and not evil and that people don't run out and try to lose money. Um, so I don't know. But I mean, what what they're saying and what they're doing aren't, you know, I, I don't know. Um, there's there's been talk of that. Not not that I've seen from regulators, but just, you know, from the talking heads on TV about, you know, are they going to raise that limit or not? But who who's they? Uh, this is mainly uh, mainly hedge fund guys that I've seen out there. Oh, I thought you were talking about the FDIC raising raising their limit. Sorry. No, and if they've had any of those conversations, it hadn't been within my purview. But uh, you know that they implicitly did that uh, last week. Uh, they didn't put an end date on that, so you know I don't know if we're left to read between the lines. I think their primary concern Friday and over the weekend was to calm the consumer and not not cause runs. Um, and as with anything, what, what is the long-term effect of those decisions look like? I don't, I don't know. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't see well, how I think it's the, inflationary, uh, but you know. Yeah, I think, I think the, the FDIC, other auditors, regulators and so on. I shouldn't say other auditors, but because the, the, uh, the FDIC is not an auditor per se, but to, you know, extraordinary measures that are being called in. Uh, in times like this, you know, it definitely backstops things. I would like to think that it would stop 
uh, some kind of contagion. You know, that's the press's favorite word now. Uh, in the last, you know, during the during the pandemic, it was unprecedented, and now we are onto uh, contagion. But I wouldn't think uh, that obviously we need more regulations per se. Uh, and that could be tough, given that a lot of these regulations have to go through uh, a Republican, you know, Congress. Um, so that that you, know, you bring in the political spectrum or bring it, bring in the political question. But could you explain to folks why? Uh, and it doesn't have to be from the FDIC's perspective, just from your perspective. You know, what is the difference between, say, your bank and a large, say, money center bank? And a you know a, a Silvergate, for example, or a, or a Silicon Valley bank. Uh, well, I mean, I think a community bank, and you know, to come to the first point of that topic. I mean, who who are we to say that that what the FDIC did didn't work or not? I mean, we didn't we didn't see any more bank failures this week. So, I mean, that obviously calmed some nerves um, of some folks, and I think that was what they wanted to do. Um, I think uh, community banks in in general. Um, and the the big money center banks are more diversified, uh, in my opinion, than than SVB. You know these these guys were were pretty like we said niche, whereas the, your average bank is not necessarily focused on just one line of business um, or just supporting one customer type. So I think community banks and money center banks are both a little bit more diversified than you know what we've seen so far is essentially just been two banks that were operating in a niche space. Um, and I guess we can say three because what Silvergate threw in the towel um, without anybody forcing their hand, but, you know, they got caught up with FTX. They seem to be the uh, the clearinghouse of choice to get fiat currency into, into crypto markets and back and forth. So, you know, that was unfortunate that they, they got hurt there. Like you said, SVB was heavy into, into tech. Um, signature also was had a lot of crypto exposure. So, you know, can you necessarily blame those customer bases who have already seen one catastrophic issue, uh, you know, in the area they operate, get, be a little bit nervous? Um, you know, I can't, can't blame them. But uh, I think just in general, the entire banking system is a lot more diversified than the examples we've seen so far. Yeah, I would. Great point. I would Steve. think. I, I would think so too. I, 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 and I'm pretty sure the FDIC uh, thinks that as well. Um, with regard to to mortgages, which is kind of your specialty, and I know earlier you said you didn't deal with the FDIC uh, very often, if, if at all, because you are more on the residential mortgage side of things. So, like I say, wouldn't deal with the FDIC. Um, has this has the last few weeks impacted your business the mortgage business at all i i mean we've kind of what i said earlier we we've seen increased demand um so far in march than we did in february um haven't haven't seen a a big rush this week like you would anticipate in a uh, typical kind of refi cycle when when rates move this much so um i mean hopefully what we're seeing is indicative of a spring buying season and we're getting back to the good old-fashioned bell curve kind of market and, and things pick up and people buy houses in the spring and move and whatnot. You know, I think in January, what we saw was people finally were like, okay, rates are higher. They're not going back to a three-handle. Let's, we still need to move. We still want to be in this school district, whatever, um, and start seeing some activity again. 
you know, when, when they went back up 50 plus 75 basis points in February, they kind of, you know, demand stopped uh, rates. I think we started seeing, and, and we'll see what NBA's application data shows, but I think we started seeing applications increase again in March before rates started going back down. So, you know, I'm thinking we're, we're seeing normal activity. I don't, again, I don't know that the average customer out there is, is, Following this, this news isn't hitting every every TV you walk past like the uh, the contagion from two years ago that you mentioned. So, right. um, you know, I think yeah. we're, we're seeing some normalcy. I hope, which is good. That means we've got a functioning, you know, residential market. Um, but I, I would probably expect to see a lot more demand this week. But you know, it's it's like we're living in the prettiest house on an ugly street. You know, it's like, oh, rates are back in the mid sixes, not in the not in the upper sixes anymore. So that, yeah, I don't think those kind of moves when we're in this this range are going to swing as much as they would have otherwise. Yeah, I would think, uh, yeah, the, the Fed uh, will do uh, whatever it takes. I think that the uh, FDIC will do whatever it takes. Uh, and it's it has been very interesting for me, kind of on the outside looking in, to watch both the Fed and the FDIC work together in uh, in in trying to thwart, you know, what's going on. Because I don't know how often the Fed and the FDIC actually work together. Uh, uh, in conjunction, maybe maybe you can shed some light on that. But I think it's it's important for all these government bodies to work together. Well, and I know I know uh, Tom's not going to drink if I if I mention another one. But I mean, you got a lump treasury in there too. I mean, because because they were obviously part of of the actions, and I think they're all kind of working together, which that's that's good, right? That's what we want to see. Um, it doesn't need to be just one entity leading the charge. We need a we need a group of them. This is. And it's a big, it's a big issue. Well, as yeah. a courtesy, Keith, to the <laughs> regulatory bodies out there, a collective quick drink here. Uh, but everybody with the rundown, Rob, Tom here, we've got Keith Little, President Centennial Bank in the house. Uh, obviously a lot to talk through, but just to kind of close out the SVB signature, Silvergate, and even First Republic at this point, want to lump them in to a certain degree. Um, around that discussion, you know, curious your guys' thoughts here. I mean, obviously, Peter Thiel and his Silicon Valley friends spreading word on Twitter, uh, pretty unprecedented to see $42 billion withdrawn from a bank over the course of six hours. Any thoughts to the point of, you know, obviously, regular commerce, uh, insured deposits under 250 grand by our friends at the FDIC. If there should be some mechanism in place, kind of in the smartphone era of being able to move money instantaneously in large sums, if maybe there should be some sort of uh, transfer period, you know, even if it was a matter of a few hours for large sums of money like that to move hands between banks, you know. In this case, maybe it gives SVB the ability to reach out to large stakeholders and, you know, convince them that the uh, the ship is not quite uh, as sunk as they may think. Um, to pull back on some of that, you know, quick withdrawal just due to uh, the hyper, you know, information exchange in this environment. Do you think there's any credence to that? 
I'll say that I'm just a guy from Arkansas. Okay. So, uh, but, but yeah, the, the world is different than, than, than it ever has been before that information can be exchanged that quickly. I mean, what, what you're talking about sounds like a, you know, a, a market trading stop, you know, cooling off period for everybody to, to stop. And, you know, you had to do that because you got so much algorithm trading out there for a human with cool head to walk in and say, hey, is this doing what we intended it to do? Or is it just piling on and and, and self-perpetuating? Uh, but I don't know. That's an interesting moral question, too, because do you, how, how would the John Q. public feel about that if the bank says, sorry, we, we're not going to let you have any money right now. We we want you to stop and 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 cool off and, and make sure this is really what you want to do. Uh, so, I mean, that, um, A, I'm happy I'm not a regulator right now. I'm, I'm happy that that I'm not J-PAL because um, I don't, I wouldn't want to be in that situation. Um, but, you know, um, that that's an interesting moral question. Um, so, uh, you know. Yeah. I, to, to that point, um, you know, as I said earlier, the, the FDIC was formed in 1933 because of the Depression. The Fed was formed, I think, in 1913. And if you go back into the banking crises uh, during the 1700s, 1800s, before the FDIC, before the Fed, before they were set up, um, you know, I, I think I, I should have I should have brushed up on my history, but I think at one point the U.S. government called Jay Gould to help uh, stop a banking crisis, and then, as I said, the Fed, the Fed was uh, formed in uh, uh, 1913, and then the Federal Reserve in 1933 to help do these things. The question is, I would say that technology has has grown by leaps and bounds, and the you know, a tweet causing a run on a bank. I mean, when they formed the FDIC and the Fed, you know, they didn't foresee uh, foresee this. So, you know, what what changes need to be made, and you know, what does the what does the Fed have to do to to keep up? Uh, what does the FDIC have to do to keep up? It just the, the list goes on and on. It's uh, you know, it's not. It used to in the old days. It used to take all day for a, a bank. Uh, bank uh, crisis, bank uh, line to form outside the bank withdrawing their deposits. Now, you know, it's a matter of a few keystrokes and suddenly to your point, you lose millions and millions and millions of dollars in just a, uh, a few minutes. So anyway, well, Rob, real quick, everybody is really uh, grateful for the history lessons of the Fed and FDIC that you've brought to the table, this discussion, a lot of uh, concern around my liver. It will be okay. Uh, not my first rodeo. So appreciate the positive support out there in the chat. We will make it through the hour. Um, oh, they're lashing out. <laughs> Mr. Curly, you know, anyway, go on. Go on. Sorry, Tom. Uh, your, your good friend, Brian Levy, also recommended never engage in a drinking game with Rob Crispin where there's buzzwords involved. Uh, you know, you're a glutton for punishment there. Um, yeah. And last thing on the topic before we close it out, we always spend a good time around it. But, uh, you know, we know Congress, divided Congress, no expectation that there's any quick movement or movement in general to do something substantial. You touched on the calls for some, uh, you know, some regulatory curbs in place. Any thoughts if, if we see 
something come out of this as far as maybe the uh, Congress to pull back or look to pull back on some of the curbs to Dodd-Frank that, uh, you know, allowed maybe a little less regulatory scrutiny on those regionals in the 50 to 250 billion range in assets, um, particularly around stress tests as we as we move forward. Which one are you looking at? I mean, that was my that was my Sorbinski <laughs> thirty second question for Rob and and put him on the spot. No, I'll, I'll, I'm gonna I'm gonna toss that to Keith. I don't I don't see any less regulation. There's a lot of finger points going on right now. It's kind of like the 2008 financial crisis or whatever it was called. Uh, you know, brokers pointing at mortgage bankers, mortgage bankers pointing at uh, rating agencies, rating agencies pointing at investors. There's all you know people pointing at borrowers. There's all kinds of blame to go around. I'm sure they'll be sifting through this for a while, but I, I like to think that calmer heads uh, prevail. I like to think that the FDIC is doing its job. I like to think that the Fed is doing its job. I think that they've demonstrated that uh, by working together. And as I mentioned earlier, I don't know how often the FDIC and the Fed do work together, but um, you know, it's good that they're out there. I don't know if we're quite in the mood for regulation, I know right away there was finger pointing in terms of politics, like, oh, if if uh, the Trump administration hadn't pushed for removing these regulations, we would have been fine. I have not looked into that. Uh, you're going to you're going to end up with Elizabeth Warren on one side and other people on the other side um, of, of that. And, and it takes a long time for Congress really to do much of anything. And Congress has proven that they're good at fighting the last war. And, um, you know, I think maybe this is this is a new war that they have to deal with. And, and there isn't a lot of time to sit there and contemplate and be wise and look back and look at historical experience. I know that both the FDIC and the Fed are, are steeped in history. And it's, it would be good to think that they are, you know, contemplating what's going on and given the time to do so, because it will take a while to sift out. But in terms of new regulations, maybe it's just a matter of <clears throat> making sure the old regulations are enforced. Good point. And then, Rob, to your point as well, like nobody expects uh, a divided Congress to move quickly. Obviously, both sides have leaned into their talking points. And, and to your point, stepping back from some of those Dodd-Frank regulations on the regionals in the 50 to 250 billion dollar asset range was bipartisan when it was sent to President Trump's desk at the time. So it's not like, you know, right. both sides of the aisle don't have some blood on their hands in the process. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Well, I'm sure our IMB members out here uh, would, would love to hear a little bit around, uh, you know, the, the, the big announcement from FHFA this week around the LLPA DTI fee adjustments. And, you know, deciding to punt that to August 1, um, just to unpack that real quickly, the, from the press release, the FHFA rationale was to ensure a level playing field for all lenders and having sufficient time to deploy the fee. Additionally, lenders not subject to post-purchase price adjustments related to this DTI ratio fee on loans acquired by Fannie and Freddie between August 1 and December 31. Uh, you know, this temporary price adjustment exception won't alter any QC review decisions by Fannie and Freddie. Obviously, welcome news to the mortgage lending community as a whole. Um, you've seen in some of the industry publications just today, 
great that we're kicking this can down the road would be that much better if we just killed this uh, adjustment in the, in the first place. But would love, Keith, Rob, your uh, your thoughts, reactions just to that announcement this week and uh, maybe any future adjustments we might see down the line. Yeah, I, uh, I'm glad we were able to shift the topic off of the, <clears throat> the banking crisis and, and talk about something other than the Fed and other than the FDIC. The I know that the NBA has uh, uh, come out and said, in fact, I, I Pete Mills shot me a note that I have in my commentary tomorrow about uh, about how, you know, a delay. We've lost Tom. I'll talk to Keith. Uh, how a delay is is good. But, uh, oh, sponsored by Wendy's. Anyway, uh, and it's a but the NBA is pushing for a whole different algorithm and you know, why, why even do this now when we're trying to recover as an industry and trying to get this, this business up and going again and going into purchase season and so forth. So I think it's a, uh, the NBA views it as a bandaid, uh, uh, maybe not, a maybe not a total fix, but I think it's, you know, it's nice to see. It's nice to see. I think that it's good to see that, that Sandra Thompson, I think, Listen to the industry, uh, or people on our staff did. Uh, just like it's it's good to see like Janet Yellen at the Fed, uh, you know, listening to the industry. So, uh, Keith, what are your thoughts? Uh, well, I've made it no secret I was not a fan of, of LLPAs. I, I, the DTI was was probably the most problematic for implementation. Uh, but there's a lot of other logical fallacies in that grid uh, that I think need to be addressed. And, and you've always, you already kind of mentioned it. I mean, the timing could not have been worse for them. I will say kudos to them for, for delaying it early, you know, earlier. I, I was kind of worried we were going to hear something. I figured it would probably get delayed and, and not taken away with, but we probably wouldn't know until like early mid-April. Um I mean, how many loans have already been priced in with this in the last couple of weeks? But, you know, so I'm glad they they pushed it back early. But I think there's there's a lot of other things besides the DTI that they need to to look at in there. I think you're um, I think there's some things that probably would that look good on the surface and they cause some issues um, that that could entice people to actually go into a riskier position for the agencies. Uh, the way some of those grids are structured. So uh, DTI was particularly problematic. I mean, and I think it's going to continue to be problematic. I mean, if you look at the, you know, we've talked about how do we underwrite to the gig economy and all this stuff. And it, it I was not a fan of any of the LLPA. So let's put it that way. So, I mean, this is better than, you know, better than it was. But if you, you know, if you get kicked in the shin instead of stomped on the foot, is that better? Uh, I, I, they both hurt, so. right. Well played. Yeah. Well, and uh, Keith, I, I have to compliment you on being a better man than I am because uh, you didn't mention FDIC or Fed you noticed Rob. Once, he was very uh, pointed in his choice of words, but Rob has definitely leaned into today's theme to the point where I've had to go back to the third uh, and just to answer the rumors in the chat. Yes, Conway's Irish Ale. Great Lakes Brewery's finest this time of season. Uh, if you're not Great Lakes or Cleveland adjacent, I will gladly send you a six pack. So, so keeping on with this briefly, I think when those changes were made, I think there was a lot of talk about how those changes impact 
FHA business, for example, because every every time an agency makes a change, it has a ripple effect uh, out there in the industry, just like any time a correspondent investor has a price change or some kind of policy change, it has a ripple effect as because there's a lot of eyes looking at these changes. And so when when FHFA makes a change like that, what is the reason and what implications does it have on FHA business uh, and housing finance authority business and even the jumbo business to some extent? So uh, it'll be interesting. I, I've been saying kind of under my breath a little bit or just as an aside, I mean, I've been thinking that I think that, you know, I, I, I'm not going to say I saw this coming by the FHFA, but I like to think that they were going to do that and, and, and they have, and now it gives them time, I think a little bit to really truly reevaluate the situation and, you know, think, think about their actions. So I'm, I'm optimistic that uh, we'll, I'm, here I am going on record. I'm optimistic that I think they will, you know, change it up entirely. I think so, uh, Sandra, everybody Sandra's hold Rob accountable good. for that. Yeah, there you go. Uh, uh, there you 40 go. Central on March 17th. <laughs> right. <laughs> We've got a video around. record of it. So a great do. point, Rob. I mean, I think that is an inherent difference that our industry sees from, say, the Sandra Thompson administration versus the Calabria administration is an open ear uh, to the real-time feedback from mortgage bankers on the IMB and depository side alike and, and trying best efforts to be, you know, pivot towards that feedback and, and really um, listen to, you know, the members of the mortgage banking community and, and act in a way um, that's going to be sustainable for, you know, growth in our industry for the long haul. I agree. Yeah, I mean, kudos. I agree. So I'm, I'm not going to, complain about them delaying something and, you know, to use Rob's words from earlier, you know, calmer heads and going back and evaluate. Somebody asked, you know, if the LLPAs lead to better capitalization, something I still like, well, I mean, maybe it'd be nice if somebody told me that's what we're going to do with it. I think there, mm-hmm. there are probably more transparent ways that they could, they could get towards that capitalization. Um, and again, I think there's some logical fallacies in the grids that, um, could have unintended consequences and it would it would look like on the surface could definitely have unintended consequences so you know i'm going to hold out hope that that rob's accurate there that kind of reevaluate that i mean if, if we need to yeah. make changes for capitalization okay let's do it and let's just be honest about it for you know um but let's not do it in a way that's punitive to to someone that that is not posing a higher risk level right yeah i i, I agree 100 and i think um, the the FHFA I think has proved proven a little more nimble uh, in terms of decision making than say the Fed or the FDIC, um, and so I think they I think Sandra will come around and, and uh, you know listen listen to the industry. So anyway, I think I think Great our, point our here, Rob. <laughs> yeah, uh, we're we're getting on to that point. I knew we would run through this episode. We're getting quickly. on to some point, Tom. Right. <laughs> it's going to be five o'clock somewhere soon. Right. Um, but, you know, real quick to you, know, you guys mentioned early in the discussion, um, just uh, a bit of a raise in, in purchase application activity. MBA released stats earlier this week for final numbers in February, up four percent from January. But also at the same point, home sales down five percent in the month of February from January. Um 
Yeah, yeah. Any thoughts between the two of you as far as tea leaves to read upon for uh, what we hope would be a bullish spring buying season ahead of us? I see more leaves. Keith, than Ralph's Keith you're in the you're in the you're in the trenches, Keith. I mean, I don't. Uh, we started off the year in pretty good shape, and then things changed. And then, I mean, it's right right before. It's funny because once again me and predictions, you know, right before Jerome Powell went onto the Hill to say that we're not done raising interest rates and you better beware, you know, anybody was predicting interest rates from the prior week. Uh, they had those predictions ruined. And then sure enough, we get a bank failure or two and all those predictions are, you know, it's, it's like a battle plan is fine until the first shot is fired. Um, but I think, I think we've, looking looking at the demographics which i continue to think about you know there's a lot of millennials out there who want to buy a home uh they're they're tired of their landlord raising the rent they want to come home to a white picket fence or you know have a nice little nice little place or have a place at the end of a cul-de-sac where their where their kids can play with other kids in the cul-de-sac and uh they they just want a house so you know apartment which, living isn't for everybody so i, I think the no, demographics yeah, it's it's not by any means, but I laugh because there was a good stat that we didn't get to last week, and it was uh, National Mortgage Professional did an article, uh, a pair of articles, A, the top 10 cities preferred by millennials right now. You can imagine they were all the, the trendy cities out there where you see a lot of our industry conferences Cleveland, held out. Uh, that, that Cleveland was number 11 on the list, Keith. I, I can't believe it wasn't higher, but, you know, Denver, Austin different California cities, different Nashville, up-and-comers there. And then they also had a separate report. Uh, it was the top 10 most affordable cities for first-time homebuyers, which naturally our millennial group would fit into that case in most circumstances. Zero overlap whatsoever. So there is, I think, out there a bit of, you know, I want to be where the action is from a career standpoint and a lifestyle standpoint versus what, it, you know, a region that might be more amenable to me trying to get into the market as a homeowner. And there's a bit of a disconnect that I don't have the answer to how you bridge that gap, but uh, interesting trend out there. Yeah. So well, anyway, this we've run out of time, right? We haven't so even before we our bets on week, the, the fed move next week. I thought we had... Oh, that's what I was going to ask you both. I've heard a lot of conjecture in national media this week. Um, you know, some that suppose that the Fed will make no move now as to quell issues from the depository side, but yet still want to make some sort of increase <laughs> as to not scare the market uh, on how close to a downfall we could be. Rob, we'll start yeah, with I think you. I think you know once again predictions, uh, but. <clears throat> probably a, a quarter is a token move. I mean, they they it's very very difficult for the Fed to both fight inflation and handle a, bike, a banking crisis. And for the Fed to be able to do that successfully uh, is, is going to take a lot of skill. Um, Tom, uh, how many times do I have mentioned Fed? So, so I think they'll go a quarter. I don't know. But, but um, it's only because their, their inflation is still an issue. Keith, what do you think the Fed I mean, is going to do? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I put my money on a quarter uh, raise. You know, maybe, uh, hopefully, we're wrong and it, it's a pause for two months and ordered by know, the Fed. Yeah, see what uh, see what to be the safe out. bet out there. Yeah, 
But now, I mean, I, I think, uh, you know, the Federal Reserve chair has, has proven that he is not Volcker. Um, you know, if you, you look at the lessons in the past, Volcker probably took his foot off a little too early. Um, now this, I think the last week made his job and everybody on the, on the board's job a little bit harder. Um, on the, but, on the board of the Fed. Yeah. Yeah. The, uh, FOMC. Yeah. So, you know, I don't, I don't know that it, it necessarily changed anything. I don't think that a quarter race next week would, it is, is going to perpetuate this whole another round of, of bank failures or anything else, but, uh, you know, inflation's still a problem. Right. Uh, you know what, what I think, yeah. uh, Tom, I, I, Tom, do you, ha- do you happen to have like a, a, a zoom call or a meeting with the board of directors or the owners of TMC coming up this afternoon? Uh, you know, for you, Rob, I would, I would make them wait a few minutes. So. All right. All right. No, I was, I was actually talking about what's the name of that beer you've been drinking. Uh, Conway's Conway's Irish ale, great lakes brewery. One of their finest. It's not Christmas ale, but it's the next best thing. Looks like I got uh, got a new Great Lakes Brewery this week may be the play, right? I'm telling you, anybody wants to make a stop up to my stopping grounds, that would be a a grateful host. But uh, I do want to drop, you know, just a rumor out there and uh, we'll see what flight it takes. But uh, many of you know about, you know, our, our president, COO, Rich Rubinsky, making his impending exit from the mortgage collaborative. I am happy to announce uh, he has, in part with this move, stepped aside to help start a grassroots campaign. Political action committee is already in place, and hopefully everybody on this call can help uh, raise support. But we want to uh, elevate Rich to the, the next <laughs> CFPB director from an appointment from uh, likely the next administration and uh, the presidency. And he has started a super PAC. It's called Franco Gallucci's 529. So, Amy, if you would drop my Venmo in the chat, we'd be happy to have our audience contribute to that. And whether Rich uh, ends up being director of CFPB or not, just know your contribution will put a uh, a young child through college. And, and that's what it's all about these days. Very good. Rob, keep, I expect keep, your support as well. Keep a surprise. Absolutely. So, I mean, before we wrap here, Guys, I was going to ask about weekend plans. Uh, Keith, I didn't pay attention, honestly, to what happened in the bracket yesterday. How are your Razorbacks looking? Uh, we, we got a game tomorrow. Uh, we got number Amen, one brother. in Kansas. So uh, hopefully my Woo Pig shirt uh, will will be here in time. Uh, so I tried to show you. That, uh, to be fair, that was my million-dollar question for today is, you know, what our audience really wants to know is, Keith, who's your favorite member of the Wu-Tang Clan? Well, I mean, so you gotta you gotta think about what ODB did to hip hop <laughs> in general. That the people weren't really singing and sure. rapping at the same time. So I think he did bring something new to the table there. Uh, old Bobby Bones, one of the other great Arkansans, you know, uh, he had his blue pink shirt on the other night, and it, it had like three text messages. Did you see that? And I'm like, yeah, I'm on my phone right now trying to order one. That's um, there's a question in the Q&A. Somebody wants to know if Keith has seen the uh, the movie with the bear that was referenced in San Diego. Oh, yeah, 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 Keith. So this was big conjecture at uh, TMC San Diego. And what everybody wants to know is, have you seen Cocaine Bear? And if so, what uh, what's your 
you know, what's your reaction? Do you recommend others go see it? So I have not. I just assumed when we start talking about bears that there was somebody from multibank securities that might be behind that comment. Uh, if they're still part of the collaborative. So uh, I'm thinking I know. Great friends with you, I think uh, interestingly enough, uh, Tom, uh, I read uh, uh, a critic's uh, account of the movie who said, who noted that the movie is dedicated to Ray Liotta. And it's the second worst thing that's happened to Ray Liotta in the last six months. So I love that. Ray Liotta, big fan of mine. Goodfellas. One of uh, you're, my you're, you're a big fan of his too. Uh, a huge right. fan. And, and I read that article you sent me and I thought the other great piece with it too is uh, the director is Elizabeth Banks, famous actress. Many people know her from her direction of the Pitch Perfect movies. Um, and I believe the great commentary that I took away was it feels like Elizabeth Banks is trying to make a movie that's so obnoxious. It's so bad. It's good. But unfortunately, it's so bad. It's bad. Right. Yep. Yep. All right. Well, thank you, guys. Thank you very much, Keith, for joining us today, being uh, put on the spot with regard to the banking uh, issues and, and talking about the Fed and talking about the FDIC. Uh, you're a good sport. So I'd like to have you on again sometime. Well, hopefully I proved everybody there's a reason I'm, I'm, I'm on the mortgage side, <laughs> not, not on the uh, banking yeah. side. Yeah. All right. Keith is not just a pretty face. And, uh, you know, thank you all for joining. Hope you have a great weekend ahead couple of green beers in store. Hope your brackets aren't busted yet. They probably will be. It's well, check okay. out that it score back us. there. Did you well, miss I don't want to. No. All right, guys. <laughs> Just torch for the Everybody have a great weekend. We'll see you next week. All right. Bye. For more information about how you can get involved with TMC Connect and witness the power of the network firsthand, please visit us at mortgagecollaborative.com.